0: The motto for 2 Corinthians is, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul's troubles to show us that God is faithful, not only to see us through, but to use our difficulties in powerful ways. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Strength Through Weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter six in the middle of the chapter. We're gonna be starting at verse 11. Put your finger there. We will eventually get there. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, for the word of life before us, which is God breathed and had no origin in any man or anything on earth. But this is the living, breathing word of God can revolutionize our hearts and our minds and give us an awareness tonight of something that we desperately need. So change our lives tonight, encourage our hearts, Lord, instruct us, correct us, whatever the need, you know it well, and we are open to what you have for us tonight, in Christ's name, amen. So as I mentioned, we are picking back up midway through 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, and so some context is needed Paul has been defending himself really and his ministry which is really the theme overarching theme of the book 13 chapters really of needing to uh, really mend uh, the the bridges and and heal their strained relationship between the apostle Paul and the Corinthian church that had been kind of led astray by false teachers who came in and wanted to usurp the uh, authority and the, the love that the people had for the Apostle Paul and sort of in his absence sort of take over the church. And so Paul had to deal with all of those false accusations and all of that. And so he's defending himself. And, uh, and he began to do that by telling them there's something more important than our differences here. And that was, last time you'll recall, he was talking about the awesome privilege to be co-workers with God in what was called the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, that God was counting on us, God was working through us, uh, and eternal destinies were on the line, are on the line. And so whatever it is, your problem, my problem, a strained relationship, an offense, All of those things are need to, uh, we need to get over those things because there's something more important than anything in our lives tonight. And that is the sacred task that he was talking about, that we have this ministry. And so through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the good and the bad, those things, the times that we're hurting The times that we're we're, we're happy and rejoicing, blessing or hardship, he says, listen, you gotta be a representative for Christ and, and carry out the gospel and serve him obediently no matter your situation. And so that's what he's been talking about, that we have this ministry that we have to be faithful and get over our problems and get back to the awesome task at hand, because Christ is counting on us, His love is compelling us, and God is commanding us. So, you know, come on, He says, "Listen." Why? Because we're obligated. Because Christ shed His blood for all of us here. He died for all of us, so that we'd no longer live lives for ourselves, but for Him who died for us. And so, after He's described that sacred ministry that applies to all of us. He's picking up now here in chapter six at verse 11. He's been saying, hey, you guys, open your hearts back up to God and the ministry of your Christian life. And also, he says now, I want you to open your hearts to us as well. You need to open your heart to God and embrace the ministry of your Christian life. And he says, and while we're talking about opening your heart, you need to open your heart back up to us. So here we are, verses 11 through 13. He says, We've spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, I love the King James, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children in the faith. Open wide your hearts also, and so let's talk about this. Note takers, number one, have a heart. Paul is saying. Of course, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him. He's saying, "O Corinthians." have a heart. And you can hear the pathos here, you know. And so back to the theme of the letter here, he's gonna rebuild the bridge. He wants to mend and heal and restore the relationship. You know what? It doesn't matter how good of a pastor you are. If the bridge is out, there's no way to get that information or that ministry to the heart of somebody if there's no connection. that connection had been severed, in uh, some of the church members there, unnecessarily so. But here's how he's going to go about rebuilding uh, that bridge, as it were. He's going to start right here at verse uh, 11. He's going to say, we've been speaking freely to you. Um, and really, he's saying, as a father, that he came into Corinth, a bunch of pagan, Gentile Idol worshiping, sexually immoral, terribly godless uh, community, and uh, 18 months later, there's a thriving church. Uh, far from far from perfect, those Corinthians were kind of the um, the troubled child of all of the churches, but there was a thriving, happening church. Spirit-filled there. And he became their father in the faith. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. He spent 18 months there. And so now he's reminding them, as a fair exchange there, at verse 13, he's saying, listen, we love you like a father loves their children. Can you reciprocate with us and love us as children would love their father? That's what he's saying now. And so these newcomers... As I alluded to in the introduction, Uh, they are not pastors, but they are posers, uh, false teachers who kind of salivating to move into a turnkey congregation. Paul did all the work and they've come into town and they're like, oh, wow, I can get up on the platform and 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 they could be uh, have notoriety and they could uh, really uh, also profit Uh, with ill-gotten gain and be dishonest that way. And so they had false teaching as well. And so they came in to question his authority, his motives, to capitalize on hurt feelings because the word of God, when you're a pastor, and this happened to the Corinthians, he was correcting people. And they got their feelings hurt and then slandered him and lied about him and gossiped and caused division and all kinds of things. They accused him of being crazy and fanatical, extreme, controlling. Uh, they said, you're a lousy speaker. And he said, yeah, maybe I am a lousy speaker. The Apostle Paul. So he wasn't like a Greek, eloquently, uh, Greek-trained orator, right? But trust me, if, if I said the Apostle Paul was going to speak tonight, we'd all be here, Right? <laughs> He says, <laughs> they say, oh, he's a terrible speaker. Uh, he's always in trouble in all of this. And to a, large, uh, to a large extent, they were successful in detracting from the apostle Paul uh, the value and the love that they had. Um, and, and so for two reasons, it really worked. And he has to plead like this. Uh, number one, they were successful because of our sinful nature. Uh, we're easily duped by fake news. And so it was Winston Churchill who said, a lie can race around the world twice before the truth gets out of bed and puts on its sneakers, okay? <laughs> and, and, and so why is that? Well, Proverbs seventeen four says, evil people listen to evil ideas and liars listen to liars. You see? And so even though Paul the Apostle lived so cautiously and carefully and spirit-filled and had this wonderful, godly character, uh, he wasn't free from accusations, and that's how it is, okay? And so uh, uh, the second reason he has to plead and say, we're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us because they're offended. And our stubborn hearts, whether it's a perceived offense or a real offense, it's really difficult to win somebody back because we're stubborn creatures. Proverbs 18 and verse 19 says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like bars of a castle. And so that's the reason. And so how Paul is gonna deal with all of this Uh, Is to number one he says we've opened our mouths in the Greek we have opened our mouths we've opened our hearts so opened his mouth speaking freely speaking the truth to you in other words listen this whole uh, second Corinthians 13 chapters is more biographical about Paul than anything else it's biographical it's not doctrinal really at all you find about everything he's saying, I've opened up my mouth to you and our heart. Uh, you've heard what's going on with me, my feelings, my failures, pressures, my problems, how I cope with everything, uh, my motivations, all of this, this raw quality of, oh, Corinthians, I came into town. You, got, you, you guys benefited from my ministry I preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit came into your heart and gave you eternal life through my efforts and through my lips. Yes, it was the Holy Spirit. But who loves you like your spiritual father, he's saying. So he says, come on, guys. We've shared our hearts and our lives with you. How about some reciprocity here so he says we've opened our hearts you've closed yours we've expressed our affection and shown that affection to you but you withheld yours we have a warm heart for you and you guys have a cold shoulder for us and here's what they were doing passive aggressiveness the apostle who not returning texts and emails wink wink All right, just kind of like, whatever, I'm not going to pay attention to you because I'm going to write you off. I'm not really doing anything. I'm not even talking bad about you. I'm just going to ignore you. And that's what they were doing to him. Uh, Here's a quote, and then we'll move on. The Holy Spirit, here in these few verses, is underscoring the importance of extending grace and forgiveness in strained Christian relationships for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Christian community, for the sake of your own health in your own heart and your own walk with God. Whether the offense is perceived or real, minor or major, Jesus says that forgiveness is not an option and we must show the offender who's asking for it not seven times, but 70 times seven Forgiveness and grace, lest we find God withholding mercy from our own lives. Let us open up our hearts here, as he's saying, and keep them open. So it was Jesus in Luke chapter 17 and verse 4 says, Get over stuff. If somebody comes to you and says, Please forgive me, Peter says, How many times? Seven? And the Lord says, No, 70 times seven. And then Peter says, Oh, increase our faith. And then most Christians overlook this. They don't see this. Immediately after Peter says, oh, you better increase our faith to do that, Jesus gives a little teaching on master-servant roles, which really says, excuse me, Peter, I just told you 70 times seven, if somebody sins against you and then says they're sorry, you don't forgive them seven times, but 70 times seven, I commanded you as Lord, and you're saying, well, I'm gonna need a lot of faith for that. And the Lord says, "Uh, excuse me, I'm the master, you're the servant, and I just gave a command And so the answer wasn't, oh, well, you better increase my faith. The answer should have been, yes, Lord. Amen? Well, these guys could have heard, needed a lesson here. It says, oh, Corinthians, open wide your hearts. We're not withholding our affection, but you are from us. I think you get it now. Verses 14 through 7 1. Because it's an... uh, Unfortunate chapter break. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do, what, does, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and another word for the devil? Belial. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. First Old Testament quote. Second Old Testament quote, verse 17. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Third Old Testament quote, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. And this is the point, verse one: let us cont- let us not be polluted in our bodies or our spirit, but perfecting separateness from sin and separateness to God, holiness out of reverence for God. Let's talk about this. So we we saw have a heart, and now in these verses we. Have some holiness, have some holiness. So, so the transition here, how did we go from open mind your heart to this kind of thing? Well, I'm glad you're asking these good questions here tonight. Uh, speaking of opening your hearts, you're, you're close toward us, but you're open to the world. You've got it the wrong way around. And so you got to have some holiness. So let's talk about this paragraph here. The Corinthians are flying blind. They're all mixed up. And it's a byproduct of hardening your heart. And so when you are restraining love, grace, and mercy, uh, trust me, you'll go dark. <laughs> and this is exactly what happened here. So that the, he, they're close to the right people and they're open to the wrong people. So they're all mixed up here uh, because there's no... When when you're closed up, you're offended. I need a break, you know, and you're withdrawing and you're doing your thing. When you should be open-hearted and open-mouthed and life-flowing, what happens when you shut off from sunshine and a little air, you get a nasty spiritual infection, and that's what happens. And, And so now, instead of being open to the apostle Paul... They're open wide to the world and to this uh, a wrong imbalance, as it were. So these verses are strong and they're pretty famous. They're difficult to balance with our call to be salt in this world and light and to uh, walk with people and win them to the Lord and to follow our Lord's example, but to be a friend to sinners. And so this is really a bone of contention, an example of a clash with, with the false teachers who said, look at what he teaches here. We're supposed to be loving people, all right? And look at, what, look at how extreme and crazy he is. And, and so he's, this is what he's saying. Uh, their accusations are Paul's intolerant. Just look at your verses. He's unloving, he's extreme. Now, these verses that you're looking at they have been misunderstood and misapplied. Let's talk about what they mean and how we could properly uh, apply them. Because if you press these words too hard, too strongly, beyond their intent, you're going to end up in a monastery uh, on the top of some mountain and shoot yourself in the foot when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission, right? Uh, Now, if you ignore these words, watch your good morals be corrupted and your faith uh, totally shipwrecked. And so uh, we have to figure out what does he mean and how do I apply this today? Instead of just ignoring it like a lot of people do. So let's talk about it. What does it mean in its present form? Well, what it doesn't mean is, is that Christians are called to isolate or physically separate from unbelievers to have an us- Versus them mentality, a snooty smugness. You know that uh, we're superior than an unbeliever. And sadly, some people uh, see this this way. Not at all. Let me show you how we know that he, we're not talking about isolation of any kind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Corinthians themselves had already misunderstood the Apostle Paul. So he had to correct them. I wrote to you in my letter, not to this is the first letter before First Corinthians, which we don't have. I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, hello, you'd have to leave the world. Right? So I, I'm, I'm telling you I meant that anybody who's calling them claiming themselves to be a Christian, and then they're living an open, uh, immoral lifestyle, then you need to show some separation to help that person know you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't enjoy the benefits of fellowship and blessing of God and community and have your sinful lifestyle. And so he said, that's what I was talking about. I'm not talking about withdrawing from uh, needy, sinful people at all. So thank you for that. We can go back. To the verses. And you know, we see this everywhere. Paul tells an unbeliever who's married to a believer, hang in there. Hang in there as long as you can, so that you, 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 you can, through the, the grace of God, save your unbelieving spouse. So we're not to pull away from people, but he is saying something here, isn't he? Here's the point. It's through your relationship with others in the world, whether that relationship is temporary or permanent, if that relationship leads you to compromise your Christian life or jeopardize your Christian witness, you shall not have that relationship. That's the deal. And so sometimes it's hard to see the difference between an arm around the shoulder... To an unbeliever, or a hand reached out to an unbeliever in love, right? Leading and pulling them up. And here's the difference between arms locked at the elbow, kind of glibly walking down the path of destruction with them, uh, disregarding totally in your heart attachment to them the road of destruction that they're on. That's a difference. There's a difference between loving somebody, walking with them like Jesus did, without laughing at their jokes uh, that are crude and inappropriate, without joining them, without attaching your heart to them in that way that that leads them to pull you down instead of you pulling them up. So he says, uh, being lost is no joke, so don't yoke. All right, verse 14, which was a bad joke about being yoked. Okay, folks. Oh, I might have redeemed myself there or made it worse. Verse 14, he says, don't. He's saying, listen. Don't plow with an ox and a donkey. That was Deuteronomy 22 and 10. Now, beyond the obvious that a donkey is small and those water buffalo oxen are big and a donkey is stubborn and has a different nature than an ox that's kind of almost bred to d- eagerly do the work. He's just saying, listen, one animal, the donkey is unclean and the ox is clean. So he's saying, don't join two things together that shouldn't be Joined. And so you say, uh, first of all, the work won't get done. You're just going to have an embarrassing mess when you yoke things that don't belong together, just a disaster. So you say, we shouldn't form, listen, the difference, a heart bond, a heart bond with somebody like an unbeliever for obvious reasons so he says look at your core values here so he says and ask yourself uh, what do you have uh, what's the fellowship verse 14 the harmony verse 15 the commonality verse 14 the agreement do you see that so he's he's trying to show you are you truly going to date a guy that won't even ask a blessing over a meal who doesn't believe in God and uses Jesus' name as a cuss word and you just cause he's cute and charming and you're attracted to him you're gonna yoke up your heart and your life to someone like that? Are you gonna yoke as a business partner to somebody who doesn't fear the Lord and takes shortcuts with business ethics that's what he's saying. The yoking, the partnering, the the, the 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 coming together of two things that that, that don't really um, mesh together well. And sadly, people do it. And that's why he's telling them not to do it. You know, he's saying what <laughs> Jesus and the devil, what do they have anything in common? No. Light and dark, verse 14. An idol worshiper in a pagan temple and you with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, listen, Jesus loved the sinner and hated the sin. And so he didn't love what they were doing and he didn't affirm them. And so a lot of Christians just like to use the excuse to be a little worldly, to have worldly friends uh, by saying that they're being salt and light. But unfortunately, here's the question you ask. Because of my relationship and the time I spend with this person, am I more inclined to love God and have greater faith and be more hopeful and joyful? Or am I more cynical? Am I more worldly? Am I less trusting God? Am I more sarcastic after I leave them? Am I more hard-hearted and jaded because of my relationship? That's the kind of thing you have to ask yourself about these relationships, really uh, to understand the the incompatibility, the no-brainer of it all. And now he's going to say, listen, we belong to God, and that's the reason you have to be very careful That's what he's saying. He's saying, you you don't want to scold them like a Pharisee. And you want to be there. You want to be warm and hospitable to show them the light and the love of the Lord. But be careful. Listen to what Jude says. He says, um, save others by snatching them from the fires. Show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. So yeah, you've got to get close to people in order to give them the gospel and relationship and friendship. And people have got to trust you. You've got to get there. And he says, snatch them out of the fire. But be so on guard against your own spiritual contamination that you hate even the garment stained by the flesh of whatever it is, lest you get contaminated because you're close. So we run that risk because we rub elbows with them and hear this passage. The Corinthians were failing. The Corinthians were open wide to all the wrong people, locking arms and kind of going their merry way. And uh, listen, the boat has to be in the water, but the water can't be in the boat. Right? We're in the world, but not of the world. So the Holy Spirit's having a field day right now trying to help you sort it all out. And watch yourself because your heart is deceitful beyond all things. And it will lie to you. Oh yeah, don't worry. That's, a, that's an okay one. You know, because they're this close to the Lord. The missionary dating thing. They're this close. I can see it happening. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. This close, 10 years. And three babies. And a lot of tears. All right. We're going to move on here. Uh, Let me show you. He's now giving the reason why I've got a slide that has the Old Testament quotes there. These are the three quotes. And he's doing it from memory, so they're not real tight, but this is... What it is, I will live with them and walk with them. This is the reason why you're going to be holy. I will be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, come out of them and be separate. And when he says separate, he's saying, watch your heart. That's what he's saying. So here's, if the Lord was going to paraphrase this, maybe uh, one author put it this way. Don't form, the Lord speaking, as it were, (laughs) don't form any relationship, whether temporary or permanent, that would lead you to compromise your Christian life, defile your body or spirit, jeopardize your Christian witness because you belong to me. You're walking with me. You're doing my work. And you need to be holy because I'm holy. And so really, here's what it is. To safeguard your fellowship with God, you have to be cautious about who you're rubbing shoulders with and rubbing souls with. You watch that because he says I'll receive you if if you're not contaminated, right? He's just saying for a fuller fellowship and more blessing, you watch the way you live and you're holy and keep yourself from being polluted. That's what verse 1 of chapter 7 is saying. Because God promises, look at that, because of the promises we have, not the commands, but the promises that God will live in us and extend fellowship and mercy and all those benefits of his love, then we keep ourselves from being polluted. And the easiest way to get polluted is unwise friendships and bonds with people who don't know the Lord. Last thing I want to say. There was an Egyptian airliner in 1999 that went down. The terrible, uh, terrible suicide of one of the pilots, and the co-pilot is heard from the, the, thank you, (laughs) that place where they fly the plane. (laughs) And you hear this, pull up with me pull with me, pull with me. The other dude's pressing and putting the, the, the jetliner into a dive and the other guy's saying, pull with me. And this is what I see. He, the Holy Spirit's saying, pull with me. If you yoke to somebody who's pushing, you're going to go down with that person. So he's not trying to, to be some sort of pharisaical killjoy. He's saying, I'm watching out for you. Pull with me. Pull with me. You yoke up to people who are pulling up. That's who you yoke with. Only a fool who wants to sabotage their own Christian life would yoke up to somebody who is going down the wide path that leads to destruction that many go in that way, Jesus says. That's not. For you, That's not your destiny. Let's go on to chapter 7, verses 2 through 7. So now he's done with this little diversion here and back to the theme. Make room for us in your hearts. We have, wrong, we, we have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I don't say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I, I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, northern Greece, there the Corinthians are in southern Greece, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast. Comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. And so we we've, we've heard him say, "Have a heart," and he said, "Have some holiness." And now he's saying, "Have a change of attitude." And uh, the Greek is there: expand. Your mind for us expands your heart, your attitude. So the brief digression, as I mentioned, is over. He's back to the appeal for their affection and love. Man, he says, number one, you guys are my pride and joy. Now, there's no basis for the loss of their confidence or trust. There's no uh, foundation for their offense. And he has to keep saying that to them i.e. verse 2, we have not not done wrong to anyone. We've led uh, no one astray or taken advantage of anyone. And notice what he has to do because he's writing and you can't see his face and you can't hear tone. So he has to always clarify. So in 2 Corinthians, you always hear him say something and say, not that I meant this, I meant that. So he's just saying right now, listen, he says, We haven't wronged anyone. We haven't corrupted anyone. We haven't exploited anyone. But that's not how he meant it. So he says, listen, verse four. He says, uh, uh, I'm not mad. I'm not blaming you. I'm not accusing you. Uh, He says, verse three, I'm not condemning you. I don't think you all believe this. I'm answering the charges. That's all, because they could get offended with him saying, we haven't done anything wrong like I'm accusing you of thinking that and saying that right now. So he's saying, listen, I'm I'm not trying to condemn you right now. I'm just answering the charges, all right, and to help you. So far from being mad, verses 3 through 7, he says, we love you guys. Like, Like crazy we love you. We'd risk our lives for you here. So he starts to expand and expound on that love despite the false accusations. He says, we think you're the best. We brag about you guys, verse four. We're confident that love is gonna win out. We think better things of you. And he says, actually, I'm overcome with joy. I'm encouraged. Verse six, he says, hey, Titus came from a visit with them with really good news. And so uh, that has really uh, helped us. He says, let me open my mouth more to you and tell you about my situation. He says, I'm up here in Macedonia, and where we had no rest, lots of persecutions, been all hell breaking loose in my heart and life. Uh, I've been in the pressure cooker. Outwardly, trouble of all kinds, hostility and persecutions. Inwardly, fear and, and depression and anxieties. But he says, but God, whose job it is to comfort all those who are downhearted, made a way for Titus to come from you guys He found me in Macedonia up north. And he said, boy, was I ever encouraged. And so Titus' news really caused joy to overflow, verse 7, in uh, their hearts. And he said, Titus came to us. Now, here's what happened. He sent Titus there uh, with the painful letter following a very painful visit, right? And so Titus comes back to him and says, listen, he says, Titus just told me, verse 7, you miss me. You're sorry. You're worried about me. So in the middle of my darkest struggle, he says, my joy is overflowing. He says, I'm in the biggest struggle of my life right now. But because you guys are letting the Holy Spirit work in your hearts, You have encouraged me just to no end. And so uh, one writer said, thank God for the Tituses in this world, the encouragers, whom God can use to blow cool breezes upon the men and the women of God who are fighting in the trenches and needing support and encouragement and relief. He says, the Holy Spirit always knows what we need, when we need it, and he never gives us more than we can handle. And so Titus came and he said, listen, hey, the Holy Spirit's working. They miss you. They're sorry. And they're worried about you and all of this. So we're going to finish up. Uh, we're close to it right now. So now, uh, this is really good. He's going to now say, you've got to think biblically when you assess your life. And the hurtful things that are going on in you. The only way to understand is it good or bad is by faith and a biblical perspective. So here's what he's saying. Now, let's take a look at this. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. There it is again, clarifying. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy clarifying. I am not not happy that I made you sorry, (laughs) but because your sorrow led you to repentance For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so you weren't harmed in any way by us. Hello. (laughs) Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter, verse 12. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but let's think biblically Let's take guile. Uh, let's have a heavenly perspective, spiritually speaking. But rather, that God, be, that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. So, a lot to talk about here. So, he said, have a heart, number one. Number two, have some what? holiness. Somebody's paying attention. Thank you. <laughs> Have a change of mind and now have a biblical perspective. Listen, somebody asks you, how's it going? Do you always have to say terrible because you're challenged? Are things really going bad because you're in a predicament of some kind? Is that terrible? A mature Christian can assess what God is doing and using through the difficulty and not just lump all hardship into the bad category. So here's he saying, listen, we've gone through a lot here, but let's focus on the good thing that God is working together for our good because we love him and are called according to his purpose. So can we just assess things that not all bad things Not all difficult things are bad. So the pain, the sorrow, the struggle, he says, my letter, all of this God is using in verse eight. I don't regret it because of how God used it. And then he says, I mean, of course, I regret the pain. It caused you at the time, but look what came of it. Look what came of it. I'm happy. He says, not at your pain, of course, as I said, But that you've repented and the word there is to do a U-turn to have a change of heart. And so Paul um, took out a spiritual paddle, right? And so he took some of the folks at Corinth who needed it to behind the woodshed and let them have it with the authority, he says, that the word of God has. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he went into places and he said, listen, you guys can't live together anymore. Stop it. That's a joke. You both are born again and you're living together out. And then the families got involved and the people said, how dare you tell us who we can love and who we can't? And, you know, we're, we have a vow to abstinence, Paul, okay? Right? It's all of that stuff. And so People got their feelings hurt, and all of this pain and sorrow, and all of that, and all the letter. So he had a painful visit. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse one talks about it. Followed by a severe letter. All right, he said that painful visit and the severe letter, which we don't have. He said produced a sorrow, a mourning in you, as God intended. It brought you to your knees, and you had an aha. Moment, Verse 10 says, listen, pain that isolates, all right? Worldly sorrow. Pain that isolates itself from God uh, will, will lead you to death. But pain that draws you to, to the Lord is redemptive and good and valuable and, and, and necessary. And it leads to salvation and eternal life. And there's no regret for that. One old school writer said, Oh, blessed distress and disease. Oh, gleeful, painful tragedy. Oh, wonderful bankruptcy that bore you on equals wings out of the eternal dungeon of hell and through the gates of everlasting joy. If it took cancer, if it took a failed relationship, if it took a death, there's nothing good in the death itself except the good that it brought you to a place of eternal life. So maybe we can reassess the value of some of the harder moments in our lives because unbeknownst to you and I, they were the best moments, the most valuable moments. And when we get to heaven and look back, some of the hardest things, some of the most evil things that have happened happened, God was using for the best intentions and and to put us on the right path and to save us. He says, just consider some of this stuff here. He says that this godly sorrow has produced. He says, verse 11, look at your eager earnestness. That means seriousness of purpose to make things right. Look at your indignation. Verse 11 says, look at how upset you got with those troublemakers in Corinth. Look at uh, your alarm, he says, that you, uh, you understood, you, were, you became aware of the, the, the bad behavior and the effects. Uh, the alarm there, you woke up, right? And then he says, uh, check this out. Check out your willingness to uh, do justice, to deal with the problem there to go in and, and, and deal with the offenders and the troublemakers. He said that's what the pain has caused. This repentance is proving your innocence there in verse 11 and 12. And so he says in verse 12, another call to think with faith. He says, listen, you've got to see things with the eyes of faith and be spiritually minded. The letter I love this. The letter really wasn't about the troublemakers. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God used this whole thing to reveal to you your own love for the truth and your own heart of devotion toward the pastors, toward uh, himself as well. So he's saying, listen, realize, wait a second here. That's what happened here with the pain and the sorrow. You woke up and said, what? Wait a second here. It's the Apostle Paul. He's our spiritual father. We love him. What are we doing? So he's saying the letter wasn't all about the problem and the person. God was using it to open your eyes and to bring you to a better place. And I think we'd all do a lot better if we just realized that God is using some tough times for good. Amen. And that, yeah, we pray like three times, take this thing away. And if he doesn't, then we say, Lord, help me to cooperate with what you're doing in my life. You know uh, that devotional I've talked about before, Feet uh, for High Places. It's about this crippled uh, deer that's trying to get up to the top of the mountain, but the back legs are, are sort of lame. And the Lord sends two companions to help much afraid to get up the mountain to make it really, to heaven. And the two companions' names are sorrow and suffering. It just, we don't like it. And it does, it's no fun at the time, but afterwards it yields a great uh, benefit. And so one writer said, listen, if we knew the good our pain was accomplishing, we'd endure it ever so much more patiently and joyfully. Okay, let's finish up. One little paragraph and we're done. Now, in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true about him, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Look at you. You came out for a Bible study and you finished a whole chapter in the New Testament. Awesome. So have a heart, have some holiness, have a change of mind, have a biblical perspective about your life and have some hope. At the end. So he closes on a positive note here. He says, Things are looking up for everyone uh, when you're on the right side of the issue. So there was some uh, fear and trepidation regarding Titus, who's a young man. He's a young preacher. He's in his 30s. Uh, The Corinthians didn't know him very well. And so Paul sent him with the painful letter there, right? So um, he was worried about how they'd receive him. So the majority. Were warm and supportive, and they received him, and, and and they dealt with it. And the letter was painful, and all of that. But uh, verse thirteen b says it kind of helped put his mind at ease uh, to know he was well received, and they didn't really resist him. So he says, "I and I like this. I bragged about you guys to him and uh, to you about Titus." And I wasn't embarrassed on any count. And so can you imagine, you know, he says, hey, the Corinthians, they're great. You know, they've been through a lot, and there's a lot of stuff going on there. But they'll receive you. They're, they're people. They're filled with the Spirit. They will love you. Uh, they'll take you in and all of that. Can you imagine? He, he comes in, and they're cold and bitter. And they, they say, who are you? You're, you know, how old are you? You know, all of that stuff. It, it would be uh, really... Not good. And if Titus, how about Titus shows up and says, the apostle Paul sent me, okay? I'm like one rung right under the apostle, you know? and be rude and arrogant. And he says, listen, I'm Titus. I'm all over the New Testament. I'm in the book of Acts, okay? <laughs> rude, arrogant, and sensitive, but no. He said, Titus was everything I said he would be. And the Corinthians, believe it or not, were also... Even with their problems, they were everything Paul hoped they would be. And so he said, you received him with fear and trembling. It's kind of hyperbole, exaggerated rhetoric that just is an idiom that just says, you showed him the same respect you would an apostle. This young man comes in and says, the apostle Paul sent me, you know. And they received him with great respect, like, wow, we're going to receive you as an apostle as well. And so he says, Thank you for that. And after all is said and done, he says, Church, you've done good there. Verse 15, you've done good. You've cleared yourselves. You've been shaken up. You've come to your senses. You're back on track. Your relationship with me is being healed. You're taking care of business in Corinth. You're dealing uh, with the uh, problem honestly and biblically. You've refreshed Titus. You brought joy to my heart and our hearts. You've encouraged us in God's work. So now, he says, do you see why I really don't regret the whole painful matter? And neither should you. Stop regretting the painful matter because God is on your side. And he will not allow you to be tested more than you are able. But with the very strain, he will provide a way for you to bear up under it. And he always gives a way of escape. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your mercy. We ask now that you would apply these truths in our hearts and lives and help us to make sense of them, put them into practice. In Christ's name. My takeaway for me tonight, open your hearts. Open your hearts. We have a choice. So so much happens and we shut down. and We isolate. We withdraw from the Lord, from serving him, in relationships, in marriage. There is not a marriage alive that you don't have offenses almost on a daily basis. Check your heart. Check your heart. Open your heart. You render your life useless and ineffective and unproductive when you close. The only person you're hurting when closing your heart is yourself and the community and the people you're connected to. Open your hearts to the Lord. Father, help us. Uh, we got lots of reasons why we want to protect and close up and not open our hearts and help us increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. Help us, Father God, to stay soft and open to what you're doing, what you have for us in Christ's name. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.